Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the Ecuador Insider Podcast. I'm Jesse Bayer, joined as always by my business partner, Darnell Dunn. Uh, we have an amazing guest for you today who we'll get to momentarily. Um, today is Wednesday, March 29th. Haven't come to you guys in a couple of weeks. Um, been just uh, incredibly busy and uh, haven't find, found a time to schedule it in, but here we are. Um, we're just a few days in front of election season, uh, or excuse me, uh, the election, uh, the runoff election here on April 2nd. Um, so next time you hear from us, uh, it'll probably be a fun show. Um, we'll be riled up one way or another <laughs> at, uh, post uh, Sunday, which uh, on April 2nd when the election is. Um, Again, we are uh, Abundant Living Ecuador. You can find us at our website at A is in Apple, B is in Boy, Ecuador.com, uh, 800 number from the States and Canada, 888-999-0948, and of course, info at abequador.com. Also, check us out on, on YouTube, Facebook, etc. We put out a lot of content and a lot of information. If you're looking to, uh, you know, research Ecuador or, or uh, you know, maybe you're in Ecuador and you're looking for information about it, um, you know, that's that's something we really try to do through our blogs and through um, all the social media stuff, YouTube included. Um, so let's get right to it. Um, we are joined today by Olivier Wagner, and I'm really excited because he is an expert in a field that I would say most people living abroad are very um, undereducated about, uh, myself included. Um, he is a CPA, um, and he is the managing director of 1040 Abroad. You can find that at 1040abroad.com. Um, he's a uh, French, uh, f born in France, um, and uh, his dream was to was to travel worldwide, which he's done and become a you know a true uh, sort of global citizen. Uh, he moved to the United States after completing his master's in finance as well as an MBA. Uh, worked on an MBA, uh, not NBA. <laughs> worked on Wall Street and uh, passed uh, two levels of the CFA exam. Um, he now uh, is a is uh, somebody who is really an expert um, on tax returns for those living abroad or those with assets abroad um, and also has found um, quite a niche in the uh, in the in the space for those renouncing citizenship um, he is uh, currently in Georgia you're gonna have to help me Olivier with how to pronounce uh, the city you're in he's in currently in Georgia um, say again the city is Tbilisi. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to repeat it. Um, he uh, traveled to uh, 30 different countries in 2016. So um, really interesting person and with a lot of amazing information. So uh, Olivier, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Darnell, you as well. Um, how's, uh, how's it going today? Going good, going good. Thank you for having me. Excellent. So um, I think, I mean, let's just, let's just jump right into it. Um, I think, uh, you know, I think, I guess maybe we could just start with a little, a little background on you. Um, obviously, you know, I, I, I gave a little piece of your bio, but your story is a lot deeper. Um, why don't you just give us a quick sort of, you know, rundown of how you ended up where you are? So I, um, I was born in France. I grew up there until I was 24 years old in 2004. I moved to the U.S., I worked at Moody's, the credit rating agency in New York, and in 2011, so I spent seven years in the U.S., I became a U.S. citizen. In 2011, I moved to Montreal, um, so my wife was 
um, American, she's, she's no longer my wife. Um, and yeah, she had the job as professor in Montreal. Uh, once in Montreal, I started working in U.S. taxation, so preparing returns for Canadians uh, doing business in the U.S. as well as U.S. citizens living in Canada. And last year, when the fall 2015, I, I flew to to Bangkok, Thailand to attend a conference. I stayed there for almost six months in and out. And then I traveled in Europe a little bit in the Americas. Um, yes, that's my story. I'm a French citizen, US citizen. I'm still uh, technically a permanent resident of Canada, even though I'll lose it sooner or later. And I'm a permanent resident of Georgia going for citizenship. Okay. And, um, and you got it, you sort of, I mean, the majority of your business c currently is for U.S. citizens living, doing business abroad and those renouncing citizenship. Is that correct? Um, yes, it's about 50-50, 50% annual filers uh, filing their returns every year and 50% uh, people filing five years at once to become compliant and then renouncing U.S. citizenship. Okay. So why don't we, um, I mean, I want to get into fat guy. I want to get into reporting requirements um, and, you know, pitfalls and advice. But why don't we start with just the the uh, the renun uh, renouncing stuff? Because a lot of that's something a lot of people are interested in. A lot of people who leave the U.S. Um, in part are doing so because of the sort of uh, crazy tax policy and, uh, you know, some of the fat rules, etc. So if somebody actually wants to, you know, renounce their U.S. citizenship, um, they've obviously established, you know, residency elsewhere, and they can, you know, get citizenship elsewhere. What is the what is the requirements for that on the U.S. side? So, I mean, immigration-wise, you would need an appointment at the consulate. Well, there's two ways to uh, to relinquish your citizenship. So you can either renounce, which is the easiest way to do it. Uh, you get an appointment at the U.S. consulate, you pay a fee of $2,350, and then um, you would get, about six months later, a certificate of loss of nationality. Mm -hmm. But to stop being in the U.S. tax system, you need to file a final return and file Form 8854. And then, uh, tax-wise, there's two types of expatriate covered and uncovered. And there are some penalties for being covered, and in order to not be covered, one of the requirements is to have been compliant for the prior five years. They don't need to have been timely filed, but they need to have been filed. So that's why I have a lot of accidental Americans, people who were almost oblivious to the fact that they were American, mm -hmm. and, and so they don't, they've never filed U.S. tax returns. They would file five years and once, and then went out. Okay, so basically, there's a twenty-three hundred dollar, the twenty-three fifty fee. There's some forms that you'd have to file, and you've got to be tax compliant for the last five years. Yes, so that's for the renunciation. The renunciation occurs when you show up at the consulate and you take an an oath saying that you don't want to be a U.S. citizen, and then they they accept. Another way is to relinquish. So you can relinquish 
by performing several acts, whether it's um, joint working for a foreign government, working for a foreign army, uh, acquiring a foreign citizenship. Mm -hmm. And then, if the Department of State, so you will perform these acts. Yeah. You perform this act with the intent of renouncing U.S. citizenship. Um, the U.S. recognizes dual citizenship. You can acquire a second citizenship that will not affect your U.S. citizenship unless you do it with the intent of relinquishing it. And and a few decades ago, the onus was on you to prove that you really wanted to remain American. Uh, these days. It's the other way around. You really have to prove that you wanted to relinquish if that was the case. Um, so the, the more uh, draconian rules on, on relinquished citizenship started in 2004. So if you can have an expatriating event before 2004 and have a case to say that you did it without, uh, with the intent of renouncing your citizenship, which means that you didn't hold yourself as a U.S. citizen ever since, uh, then you wouldn't need to worry about any of these rules. One uh, quick question, Olivier. Do you need to be a citizen of another country before renouncing your U.S. citizenship or renouncing citizenship of any other country? Interestingly, no. There, there actually is a U.N. treaty against statelessness which um, says that the signing parties... Uh, will not let anybody stateless, but the U.S. is not a party to this treaty and actually allows people to to become stateless. Um, they strongly warn against it, but if that's your choice, um, you can do that. Uh, somebody else, the website nostate.com, and did exactly that, and is um, quite strongly against. U.S. government is an interesting website. It's more for entertainment than for legal advising purposes, but you can check it out, nostate.com. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Okay, um, super. And what are you seeing as far as trends? I mean, when I look at statistics, um, I see that the number of folks renouncing is growing by hundreds if not thousands of percent year over year although the raw numbers are still pretty low what are you seeing as far as trends in that uh direction yeah i'm seeing the same thing that's yeah i just see uh an increase and yeah i don't i don't really see the the demand ending soon uh with fatca um, the U.S. government will have knowledge of U.S. citizens' assets in foreign countries that they were supposed to report, uh, both on the, um, the FR and, and forms going with the tax return. And so the fear of penalties or trying to prove um, your status with the bank uh, can... can somebody to renounce U.S. citizenship. Uh, I actually had a client, so Switzerland was actually in the forefront of that because historically it was a tax haven, it's not anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but the Department of Justice considered that if you're a Swiss bank, you're guilty until proven innocent. So, 
Yeah, so this bank, in this particular case, froze 50% of my client's assets and would only release it once he filed US tax returns. So that was a drastic step. I don't, I don't really see it usually, and uh, banks in Switzerland were more aggressive than, than otherwise. But you have this sort of, of yeah, questioning coming from banks and that pushes people to, to announce and the, the IRS is still collecting FATCA data but uh, pretty soon they will be sending letters to people with bank accounts which were not reported with, with their tax returns. Okay. And um, give people just a quick sense of... Yeah, that's it for me for now. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, sorry, I was uh, had muted out there for a second because I was typing something. And I started talking, but uh, you couldn't hear me. Give um, give people a quick sense of um. Oh wow, sorry, we got some something crazy going on outside. Uh, gives people a quick sense of what are the FATCA requirements. So if I'm, for example, you know, I'm a I'm a U.S. citizen. I'm living in Ecuador. Um, I've got bank accounts. You know, I've got real property. Um, Etc. What do I ha- what do I actually have to do? What what is what is the parameters? Okay, so by way of background, um, before FATCA, there were FBAR rules which were actually signed into law in the 1970s, but um, FinCEN only really started enforcing them in 2003. So it said that if you had more than ten thousand dollars in foreign bank accounts you had to file an FBAR form, currently mm-hmm. called FinCEN 114. With, with FinCEN, it actually does not go to the IRS. It's another branch of the Treasury Department. So if you have more than $10,000 in a foreign bank account, you would have to file an FBAR. And then, for some reason, instead of doing an information sharing between these two branches of the Treasury, uh, as part of FATCA, the IRS created Form 8938, mm-hmm. and it includes foreign bank accounts, but it also includes other sorts of assets. So for a single person living in the U.S., the filing threshold is at $50,000. For a single person living outside the U.S., that would be $200,000. So the assets to be reported are bank accounts, trust, um, other securities if you own shares or bonds directly, not within an account, that would have to be reported on an 1838, but not on, on the FBAR form. So if you own a foreign corporation, that would also be a reportable asset. The two main uh, carved-out exceptions are real estate. If you own real estate in a foreign country, that does not need to be reported. Also, precious metals, gold, silver, uh, do not have to be reported. But safe deposit boxes do. So if you leave your metal (laughs) in a safe deposit box, then you still have to report it. There is a firm in Singapore which actually is in the business of storing gold, but they're not a bank. So they found this little niche to help people, to safeguard people's gold without 
having them have to report it on Form 1838. Yeah, that kind of defeats the purpose of a safety deposit box if you're telling the U.S. government the contents of it. <laughs> um, okay, that's uh, very clear. Darnell, you got anything else on FATCA? FATCA, yes. Um, could, Olivier, could you ch um, talk a little bit about the uh, foreign earned income tax exemption for people who are living abroad? Right, so the foreign earned income exclusion is um, it's separate from FATCA. It's one of the two main um, benefits that the IRS or the Internal Revenue Code gives to Americans living, the, living abroad. So now you need to meet one of the two tests to qualify for the foreign earned income exclusion. One is the bona fide residence test, and that means that you truly live somewhere. Mm -hmm. So my interpretation is that you need to at least spend six months a year in that country, and then you need to have ties. You, you must be a tax resident of that country. If that country does not have an income tax system, it's okay as long as they would otherwise have jurisdiction to tax you. And yeah, so any ties would um, would be useful if you have a local driving license, you own real estate, you're working for a local company, you're speaking the language. Um, all of these ties would help you prove that you uh, meet the bona fide wisdom test. So it's a test that's a little subjective, but the the minimum I would say is to spend six months in that country, not uh, claim to be a non-resident to the authorities of that country and be subject to income tax if uh, an income tax system exists. The second test is the physical presence test for which you need to spend at least 330 days in any 12-month period in a foreign country. So it's... Um, it's much more objective. You know where you are. Uh, it needs to be in a foreign country, so international water um, does not count. Going to Cuba against the embargo does not count either. So, and it can be any 12 month period. You can go from April 12, 2016 to April 11, 2017. That is one 12 month period. So if your 12-month period does not cover the full calendar year, you would prorate the maximum you can exclude. So using the find earned income exclusion as the name indicates, you can exclude foreign earned income. So that's only for wages, self-employment income. It is not for passive income or other kinds of income. And the maximum you can exclude is 110 200, 2,100 in 2016. Mm -hmm. And um, on top of that, there's a foreign housing exclusion, which is uh, rarely useful because the first $40 per day don't count. So you really need to spend a lot in rent or housing expense for, for that to work. Okay. Um, yeah, so if all of your income comes from earned income, wages, or self-employment income, and it's less than $2,100, you 
you want to make sure to meet one of these two tests to exclude that income and then you won't have to pay tax on it. And just um, just to clarify for people, so, and Olivier, please correct me here, the, the U.S. is one of like one or two countries in the world that has the double taxation on foreign income? So, well, it's not double taxation. Oftentimes, um, my clients wouldn't actually have to pay anything. They just have this huge filing requirement. Okay. Uh, what it is, is that it's only the U.S. and Eritrea. Uh, which is a tiny country in Africa next to Djibouti. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the only two countries in the world which tax their citizens wherever they live. So when I left Canada, at first I was a Canadian resident because that was my, my true residence. Um, I left, I filed a form with the Canadian authorities um, making a case showing that I had ties somewhere else and I no longer had ties to Canada. They agreed with me. They sent a letter saying that I was non-resident. Mm-hmm. And being a non-resident, I only had to pay tax on Canadian source income, not worldwide income. And that would apply to a Canadian citizen as well, that in most developed countries, well, all developed countries in one way or another, they tax their residents on worldwide income and non-residents on income sourced in that country. The U.S. sees their U.S. citizen as being resident regardless of where they live. So if they are a resident somewhere else, then they can um, they will still have to report income on their worldwide income in both countries. Uh, by and large, they pay the highest tax rates of the two. So one way to avoid U.S. tax is the foreign income exclusion, for which you don't actually need to pay tax somewhere else. You just need to be, well, you need to be liable under the bona fide residence test. You don't even need that for the physical presence test. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other way is the foreign tax credit. If you live in a country with a tax rate which would be greater than, than the U.S., which a lot, a lot of my clients do, then you could claim um, a one-to-one credit for every uh, dollar of tax you paid to that foreign country, and you can offset taxes um, related to any kind of income, not just earned income, you can offset taxes related to capital gains, dividends, other income, as long as that's sourced in that other country, you can claim the foreign tax credit in the U.S. Okay. Um, Darnell, I had a question that was related but a little different. Do you want want to follow up anything we're on right now? No. No, go ahead. Continue. Okay. Um, So then... um, Olivier, what are what are some of the loopholes? What are the tricks? What what do, what can people do if I'm, you know, I'm uh, outside of the U.S. I don't want to deal with, um, you know, the U paying taxes in the U.S. Of course, I want to minimize my tax burden, um, but I'm gonna make money where I am. I'm gonna have assets. What are the tricks? What do you recommend people do um, to obviously stay compliant, but you know, minimize their tax burden and uh, minimize their reporting, you know, their f- reporting requirement costs and, and so forth. What, what, what sort of structure do you, do you sort of recommend to people to, um, you know, protect their assets from, from uh, taxes? So as far as income tax is concerned, there's these two 
vehicles, the foreign tax credit for internal income exclusion. So if you don't actually pay that much tax to a foreign country, you want to be extremely sure that you will meet one of the, the two foreign earned income exclusion tests. Another aspect is uh, social security or self-employment tax. And if you're self-employed in a country which doesn't have a totalization agreement with the US, and these are developed countries, OECD countries, I don't think that Ecuador, well, I'm pretty sure Ecuador does not, I don't have to look it up, Ecuador does not have a totalization agreement with the US. So um, if you're self-employed in Ecuador, you will have to pay self-employment tax. So that's the um, version of social security that is applicable to people. And if you are an employee of a U.S. corporation, I don't know why you would do that, um, they would also withhold social security. But if you are an employee of a foreign corporation, an Ecuadorian corporation, or from somewhere else, you would not have to pay social security. So one loophole would be to create a corporation and be your own employee. You can be an employee of a corporation you own, and you still would not have to pay self-employment, no social oh, security tax. Mm -hmm. But you, well, you would have to um, incur the compliance cost of running that company. So first, okay. with regards to, to the local authorities, then you would also need to file Form 5471 uh, with your tax return. So I would advise that structure once somebody's income is upward of $50,000 a year. Mm -hmm. if, if your income is less than that, you might as well simply pay the self-employment tax. Okay. Any, uh, any, anything else on that theme before we uh, move on as far as tips, advice for people who um, you know, have assets overseas or are working overseas? Yeah, uh, one more question, Jesse. Um, so I, I know, um, Olivier, that you had mentioned that you're a, um, a citizen of, of uh, the U.S. and uh, France and Georgia and a permanent resident in Canada. Um, how has um, your background in finance and as a CPA informed your decisions about where you live, uh, where you work, and where you hold assets? Hello? Yes, yes, I, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking about it. Um, so, well, I still have the, um, the business decision of having bank accounts in the US and Canada to, uh, to serve my clients. And speaking about that, even if you want to run a foreign corporation but you have clients in the US, you can create an LLC owned by that foreign corporation and that would give you ac access to the US banking system because unless you're going to deposit a million dollars in your new bank account, a US bank will not open an account for a foreign corporation but they will do that for um, a Wyoming LLC which for tax purposes would be a disregarded entity so would be the same as the owner, the owner being the foreign corporation in this case. So uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really push for to have my assets in tax havens. I 
yeah, I still um, yeah have them in safe places. These um, U.S. Canada. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the structure I mentioned will uh, will address the tax aspect of things, and you want the place where you where you have your bank accounts or other assets to be economically and politically stable as well. But that does not need to be the U.S. or Canada. It can be. Well, I'm not too familiar uh, when it comes to Latin America, but. Uh, Singapore, Hong Kong is also some people's favorites to to bank, and their banking system is probably more stable than the U.S. Mm -hmm. Are there any other um, places offshore that you recommend that clients hold assets? Uh, I don't have anything off the top of my head, sorry. No worries. Okay, Jesse, that's all I had on, on that topic. Okay, so, um, you know, you mentioned Singapore, Hong Kong. Those are, I know, you know, Belize, for example, down here as well. And there's, you know, of course, the, the, the uh, more, more common or more traditionally used uh, ones like um, uh, St. Kitts and Nevis, etc. For, uh, you know, both for housing corporations, doing banking, uh, uh, doing business. Um, you know, you're somebody who's traveled a lot. You're somebody, obviously, who's very uh, steeped in this world of, um, you know, uh, uh, taxes and assets and, and finding the right, you know, balance internationally in terms of structure and where you're having everything. What's, um, you know, what are some of the countries you've been to? I know you were in Bangkok last year. What are some of the countries you've been to? What are some of the sort of things you've seen there that stand out to you that maybe would be interesting for people to hear? Um, you know, what are some of the maybe that you liked like the best or didn't like, or, you know, for example, you know, why are you in Georgia now? What, um, what can you share with our, what, what kind of insight can you give to our audience through some of your travels as far as, uh, you know, the pros and cons of, of various places? I like places which have enough infrastructure for me to work, but still have enough charm to, to be appealing, at least to my taste. So... Bangkok, Thailand, as opposed to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, would be, um, I think they both have great infrastructure, but Bangkok is a little bit more run down, and I find some charm in that, whereas Kuala Lumpur, and I imagine Singapore as well, is um, full of clean skyscrapers, clean streets, and I, I don't find as much charm in that. Mm -hmm. Um... Yeah, I took a cruise in the Caribbean in December, so I visited a lot of countries with, um, I love the, um, the mud bath in Santa Lucia, I went to the Bassin Bleu next to Jacques Mel. Um, that was more, it was not tax season, it was actually December when people don't really have in mind your citizenship, so it would add more of a tourism aspect to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um... Yeah, I uh, going back to the previous point you mentioned the Caribbean. I think um, these are, have more. They're closer to the U.S. They have more U.S. clients, and they're more um, on the radar of the U.S. government. 
So if I think the banks there will be more FATCA compliant, they will interrogate their clients more. So if somebody is going to bank there, I would advise to clearly be tax compliant, whereas uh, Georgia, where I'm now, would um, would not be a place that would come up the top of uh, U.S. government official if they know that it's a country and not just a state. Um, when it comes to looking into tax haven, um, I'm actually only a permanent resident of Georgia now. It should take me another two months to uh, to get citizenship. That was uh, a clarification I wanted to make. Yeah. That is a, a really interesting point. So you're saying that um, some of the Caribbean countries like St. Kitts and Nevis, maybe, you know, maybe Belize is on that, uh, in that, uh, uh, are, are going to be more on the radar of the U.S. government, whereas some of the others, like, for example, Georgia, as you mentioned, wouldn't be. That's, um, that's accurate? Yes, that's accurate. So you want to balance these tax requirements and, and just doing business. Um, getting a credit card merchant account in Belize and, or some other place will probably be easier than in Georgia. So if you're receiving your money through international wire transfer, then Georgia is a good place to bank. But if you need your credit card merchant account, then, then you might want Belize or some place with an even better banking system. Mm-hmm. And um, one one more question, sort of along those lines. If if I'm not mistaken, and I'm you you sort of covered this, so I'm I'm you know I think it's pretty clear. But if I'm not mistaken, um, uh, even if you so for example, if you have a corporation, or you know, there's a corporation that owns a corporation, whatever it is. But if you if you have assets, it doesn't matter if it's in a corporation. Doesn't matter how you're sort of what ownership structure you use. With FATCA, you know, you have to report those those assets. I know you said there were some exceptions with real estate and with gold um, and things like that. But um, <clears throat> is there is there any sort of model that's legal that um, works that somebody could, you know, do a, have an enterprise, be a U.S. citizen, have an enterprise overseas and through some sort of corporate structure or holding company or or uh, or 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 um, trust or whatever, actually not have the U.S. government be aware of of those activities. Again, I'm not speaking to hide money or to you know or to not be tax compliant. I just mean literally um, awareness. No, not really. Um, the ways to do that legally would be to not own the corporation. So if you have a non-grantor trust and you don't, you cannot direct the money within that trust. It's not, it's not your asset anymore. So whatever this trust owns, you do not have to report it. Uh, likewise, if your spouse who is not a U.S. citizen owns a corporation, you might be an employee of that corporation or whatever your agreement is. But since it's not your corporation, you won't have to report it. But if you actually own a corporation, you will have to report it, um, not just on the 1838, but more importantly on Form 5471. Okay. Wow, this is uh, such incredibly valuable information, Olivier. Um, 
Darnell, what um, I, I'm, you know, we can sort if you want, uh, we can make this a little bit shorter episode and then maybe dive into the election for a few minutes after we let Olivier go. But I definitely want to flesh everything out. If there's anything that we've missed, do you have more stuff as far as you know renunciation or taxes or uh, international citizen? Oh, you know what? In fact, while I'm talking, Olivier, um, you probably I would imagine have some experience, uh, or obviously you do personally, but perhaps some business experience as well in the whole, you know, second passport idea. Um, what, uh, what else do you have? And I know maybe this isn't your business directly, but do you have recommendations for people as far as, you know, what countries are the best to, uh, you know, do the second passport? Um, obviously, you know, there's, <laughs> there's, um, you know, there's some ones that, you know, people are familiar with, like, like Panama. I mean, even Ecuador is a pretty easy one. And then there's some, there's some like pay to play, you know, investment, investment passport countries where you can get them really quick, but the price tag on that can be really high. Um, it sounds like you're getting it really quick in Georgia. I've heard of Georgia as, as a good place. Do you have any thoughts around that? Um, yes, yeah, so Georgia is, is actually under the radar. I had contacts for that. Um, the conditions are, are getting more stringent as time goes on. Um, yeah, citizenship by investment goes with an investment of about $250,000 in uh, Caribbean countries. If you really just want a passport, any kind of passport will do. Um, the Comoros has a citizenship by investment program for $45,000. But it's the Comoros, it's an African passport, it's totally legitimate if you go through the citizenship investment program. Uh, $45,000, you get a Comorian passport, and you can travel to a few places, which actually include Malaysia and Indonesia visa-free, so it's not completely useless, but it's, um, I wouldn't renounce your citizenship to travel on just a Comorian passport. I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> I, I think that's, uh, that's a safe uh, statement. <laughs> <laughs> it's not completely useless. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Like, the good I can say about it is it's not completely useless. Uh, it's funny. It's, it's legitimate. Yeah. Um, you know, if you bribe somebody and then they cancel your passport or whatever, or if your question as to oh you got it, you could go to jail. Well, this one is legitimate; it's right. a passport. Right. So yeah, so that's that's a passport. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, anything else, Darno or or Olivier? No. Before uh, before we wrap up, anything that uh, we 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 haven't covered? Um, no, we can wrap up. Yeah, that was all I had. Okay. Olivier, um, before we let you go, please um, let me give you a few minutes to plug your business. So uh, I, I gave the website at the beginning. You're welcome to do so again. Um, how can people get in touch with you? Um, you know, what, what, uh, plug anything you want. May, time is yours. Um, yes, so I operate 1040 abroad, uh, 1040ABROAD.com. So you can just go on my website, contact me, and... I prepare tax returns, an annual tax return for $400, an FBAR for $100, or if you have any other question, just go to the contact form on my website, contact me, and I'll get back to you within 24 hours. Very good. Olivier, um, I am really, really grateful to you for coming on the show. I think... Um, 
Honestly, this might have been, you know, maybe the best value of any show that we've brought for our listeners. Um, this is a subject that, uh, you know, nobody ever wants to talk about because it's scary and no one knows anything about it. So um, really, really uh, thank you so much for taking the time and for being uh, so knowledgeable. You're clearly an expert in what you do. And, um, you know, I very much appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, thanks again, Olivier. Okay. Um, Darnell, um, did you want to jump in for maybe do 10, 15 minutes on, on the election in the last couple of weeks, or uh, should we save that for next week? Uh, up to you. I'm uh, ready to talk about the election if you are. Um, maybe we can, uh, maybe we'll reach a couple of people who might be able to vote in the election and we can uh, <laughs> get out the vote a little bit. All right, cool. Let's do it. So just to give people a little background, we had actually recorded a show, you know, maybe, I don't know, it was, I think it wasn't last week, actually, I think it was two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, um, maybe even two and a half or three weeks ago. Yeah, so that, that didn't get recorded properly, so we couldn't put it out. It was unfortunate. It was, um, it was a fun show, and we sort of, um, we basically spent the whole, you know, hour, whatever it was, it was just me and Darnell just um, sort of recapping the events of the election and just talking about the election and, and so forth, and... Um, you know, I mean, let's say you're an American and you just went through the Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton show um, over the last couple of years, culminating in an election. You know, it's funny in Ecuador; it's it's a much smaller deal. It's a much uh, much smaller thing here. That being said, it's it's fascinating. It has its ups and downs. Um, so I'm going to take like 30 seconds to two minutes and just recap for people what took place um, with the first round of the election, and then maybe we can jump in for a minute. You know, sort of what's at stake and 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 the election that's coming up here on April 2nd. So, um, and, and, you know, this is, uh, I'm not prepared for this as a few weeks ago. So, you know, this won't be hundred percent accurate, only, only 98%, but, um, but, um, more or less what happened. So set this thing up. We had, you know, we had Lennon Moreno, the, the vice president, former vice president of Rafael, Rafael Correa, who's an open, open socialist. We had Guillermo Lasso, who's a former banker, businessman. Um, that's, that's, uh, those were the first and second candidates and then some, some more after that. Um, Moreno needed to get to 40% of the vote for there not to be a runoff. Darnell, you probably remember the date. Do you remember the date of what this, uh, what the first round was? Uh, I think the first round was, oh, you know what? I don't. Wow. That's, um, that's surprising coming from you. You caught so, me off guard. <laughs> yeah. So maybe, you know, it was, it was about three weeks ago, something like that. So, um, three, four weeks ago, max. Um, so, so, uh, the, the, um, uh, Moreno had to get to, or someone, which would have been Moreno, had to get to 40% for there not to be a runoff and, um, and, uh, and win by 10 points. So if he, if he was at 40% or more and 10 points ahead of the second place guy, uh, he wins. Uh, as you guys know who have listened to the show, Darnell and I are, are very much not in favor of, of Moreno, you know, the, the socialist candidate. Uh, we're not going to dive into all of that. It's just our opinion. You can like it or not like it, and that's totally fine with us. Um, so we were, you know, I, well, I'll just speak for myself. So I'm in Guayaquil at the time, um, and and uh, it's election day. They do it on Sunday. They have this three day, I think it's three days, three or four day dry law where you know you yeah, can, it starts Friday at twelve. Friday at twelve, right? Counting <laughs> <laughs> right where you can't drink, so no one can buy you know you know no one can buy booze uh, during that time. And then I was hang on, wait, yeah, yeah, wait, go ahead. I just have to tell this funny story here. So I'm uh, heading out with some clients to uh, Tarki, which is a uh, which is a town about 20 minutes away from, 20 minutes south of Cuenca. 
So uh, I'm, I'm there with a, we're riding out in a taxi with some clients going to look at a property and I'm chatting with the taxi driver and he says, you know, like, let's go lasso. Like we're having a whole political conversation. It was funny. And then uh, he was like, yeah. Um, so the, the dry law starts, you know, Friday at 12. So make sure you go on Thursday night to go buy liquor. I said, thank you. <laughs> Because I didn't know exactly what time it was, if I needed to go, you know, if I could go on Friday or if I needed to go Thursday. So it was, uh, it was uh, pretty funny. Anyway, I digress. Go ahead. Giving, giving you the heads up. Um, so, so, so the election, basically they started releasing the exit polls um, around 5 o'clock, a little a few minutes before 5 o'clock, and they were very scary. The first one that was released had Moreno at like 44 46%. And, and, you know, 10 points more comfortably, 10 points ahead. Then the subsequent ones had them much closer. One had, you know, one had Moreno at 38, 36. One had him at 40, 41, 42. So I realized within like 10, 15 minutes of, you know, I'm flipping channels and, and my heart's, you know, my heart's in my, in my, or my stomach's in my chest or my throat. You know, I'm, I'm think, I'm realizing, oh my God, this is going to, this is going to come down to the wire. Like he's going to be right around 40% and he's going to be right around 10 points ahead. And, um, so the night, as the night's playing out, it was really interesting because, you know, we live in this digital world where, you know, the internet is, is so prevalent and everybody's connected all the time and information gets shared so fast. So, you know, I'm sort of, I'm sort of, I've got the TV on and I'm, I'm, I should be working, but you know, I'm very caught up in it. I've got the TV on and I'm, I've got my phone and my computer and some, the government has a website, you know, much like you would you would get in the states or elsewhere where they're tabulating the vote and you can refresh it and follow the the vote and when the first tabulations came out it was looked really good from our perspective lasso was uh within like six or seven points and moreno was at like 30 you know six percent or something three and so but as the night went on as the vote came in that lead was growing and growing and growing. And then it became clear that it was going to be more than 10 points. And so the only question was, is he going to get to 40 or not? And, uh, and you know, the, at one point the, the website crashed, uh, well, who, you know, who knows what really happened, but the web, the website crashed of the, of the government company that or the, the CNE, the, the election, you know, result. Uh, you don't say <laughs> right and so you know everybody was nobody could see the vote everyone was going crazy and then all of these videos surfaced i mean hundreds of them of these videos surfaced of fraud of what looked like pretty widespread fraud um ballots arriving already marked for the alianza país party the socialists um uh ballots in the trash of guillermo lasso um uh um the pens with disappearing ink, <laughs> um, where people were that, that Correa himself warned you about in a video before uh, he was first elected. Oh, that's to... funny. We have to get into that. Yeah. Um, uh, do you want to do that now, or do you want to do that after? Um, we can we can do it after. Go ahead. Okay. You're rolling. <laughs> okay. Um, the disappearing ink, um, the trash, the 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 arriving already marked, and then there was all lots and lots of evidence um, of people with multiple. Um, so the way it works here is if you're if you're registered to vote, which everybody is because it's it's a, you get fined if you don't vote, um, which certainly helps the socialist cause. But um, but if you if you're registered to vote, you they have this book that has a card in it that has your picture on it, and and 
when you show up to vote, you show them your ID and they rip out this card and you sign it and then you're allowed to vote and then you give them back, uh, then they don't have the card anymore. So that tells them that you voted already and that's how it works. But they had the same person in the book multiple times for, there was, you know, dead people, <laughs> you know, lots and lots of dead people on the rolls. Just lots and lots of evidence. And it was really funny. I love like I love Ecuador, man. I love I love just like how it is here. It's like guys were like in parks outside of where you vote and people were like, What's in the bag? You know, what's in the bag? The bag gets ripped open. There's all these vote ballots in there already filled out, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of ballots, and they're screaming and the crowd is around and they're trying to call the cops and the cops are looking at them like, What do you want? You know? <laughs> and um and um, just all these scenes were playing out, mostly over social media, but then the then the news picked it up. And so over the next couple of days um, the news, uh, picked up all these stories of the fraud. And I mean, it seemed like there was really widespread fraud. I don't even think the most ardent supporter of, you know, of Moreno would not, would deny, you know, the evidence of fraud. Um, so that was really interesting. And then the other thing that was really interesting to me is just how the people reacted. I mean, people took to the streets here in mass, I mean, in mass, um, I was saying to Darnell and others, like, I think if they just announced that Moreno won, they're going to have a revolution on their hands. Um, I mean, people here are fed up. Like, people here do not want to continue with Rafael Correa and his his policies. I mean, that's, that's just true. Um, and so the idea that Moreno not only, not only, you know, won the first round, but won the whole thing and won it by quite a handy margin just didn't sit right with people as to their perception of to what, as to what happened. And fraud, fraud here is so widespread in certain ways. It's so cultural. People are so used to it and they're so used to, you know, taking matters into their own hands and kicking out presidents and you know, etc. I mean, people took to the streets in mass, and it was such a show. It was so interesting to me to watch it. It, it reaffirmed my sort of love affair with Ecuadorians. Um, but anyway, so that's sort of the recap. There's a lot more I could say, but I want to, you know, I don't want to go on forever. The the runoff is on April second. Right now, the polls have Moreno for the most part leading by a little. How much you can trust those who knows, and uh, we'll see what happens. We should know Sunday or Monday, or if things really drag out, you know, a day or two after that. It'll be uh, it'll be really interesting to see. You know, there's been a lot of uh, articles in in the in the news about you know whether they're you know pro Moreno or pro Lasso. You know, I kind of noticed a trend because I'm always following news on Ecuador and online, and I found that right after the runoff, all of the articles were about Lasso and and how uh, he made it to the second round and you know, all these things that he planned to do for Ecuador and how positive it might be, um, especially for investors. And the last couple of weeks, it's kind of gone the other way where it's been all about Moreno and um, all about how um, Lasso may or may not have accounts offshore. And, you know, there had been some legislation that was signed recently that uh, Ecuadorian officials can't have assets offshore. Um, a lot about how uh, how uh, what was the, what was the other thing that they were talking about? Yeah, essentially, basically saying that you know he has all of his money overseas in tax havens that he's still involved at um, in in the business decisions and day to day decision making uh, at Banco de Guayaquil, where he worked for over twenty years. In that you know, if he comes to power, 
um, you know, it's going to ruin Ecuador again, and and um, and there's going to be widespread corruption, and he's going to give you know big banks from overseas the green light to come into Ecuador and destroy the country, etc. Um, it's just interesting how people who feel that you know, I mean, first of all, people in the United States, if you're talking about their politics, would be would be liberals, really. Um, uh, they're much more centrist or, you know, slightly leaning to the left than, than one would suspect, in my opinion. And, um, and also, um, in addition to that, it's, it's just interesting that you're talking about corruption that might happen when there's lots of very high-ranking officials in Korea's party that are under investigation for widespread corruption with this Oberich, um, Name, namely, so. namely, all of them. <laughs> no, I'm joking. You've got, you've got, well, a lot of them. I mean, his vice have, president is on the top of that list. Yeah, vice president. You've got um, one of his sisters is on the list. Yeah. Um, you know, and all of this will come out after the election. Right. Um, some of it's already come out, but it'll come out in, in force after the election, no matter who wins, I think. So, yeah. Um, all will. remains to be seen, but a lot of uh, interesting um, cross currents and and uh, things that are being said, and, and uh, it's crunch time. It's no, only I mean, a couple of days away. You remember you remember the Obama phone, you know, in, 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 in 2000, <laughs> uh, what is it, 2008, I guess. The, the they they have the... Obamacare, remember? Yeah, <laughs> Obama does care. <laughs> <laughs> they have the equivalent of the Obama phone here. They have, um, and it's it's worse. They have peoples, and I've seen them, and there's hundreds yeah, of videos of it. People have it, yeah, peoples. <laughs> they, have, right. they have people sitting on street corners in neighborhoods and in all over telling people to sign up for for Moreno houses <laughs> for for, oh, for free oh, houses yeah so there's got they've got hundreds of thousands of people signing up and they're telling them if Moreno wins he's going to give you a house and um and uh you know, uh, apparently there's enough people stupid enough to believe that that are actually signing up because I've seen lines, uh, long lines. And then, of course, the social media, you know, thank, thank God for like people with cell phones who can like document stuff because, uh, you know, they're finding these 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 signature uh, these signatures for the houses in the trash all over Ecuador. So, you know, good luck with your Moreno house. But, um, you know, uh, hey, whatever works, um, you know, you talk I mean, and this is legal. You know, this is legal. This is like this is not fraud. This is OK. Like One question for you, though, with the Obama phone. Was that was he already in office or was that during election time? I mean, I don't know. That was honestly like I like I was an Obama supporter at that time, um, very stupidly, and um, I. So uh, were you advocating for Obama phones? No, but I wasn't. I wasn't <laughs> paying attention. So like I remember when that whole hullabaloo happened. I believe it was during the election, but I remember when that whole hullabaloo happened with, you know, basically the what people call the right in the states. Um, sort of going crazy about like, look, he's, you know, he's, he's, look at this ridiculous, ignorant, you know, people thinking they're going to get a cell phone from this guy and voting for him because of it. And I remember, uh, and but, I, but, but, uh, in his defense, they did produce the phones. My grandmother definitely had. <laughs> <laughs> so, I like you told me, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. No, I was. That's it. Do no, it. You told me that before. And like, I was dying. Like that was the first I, I had heard of that. Like I thought. It was just like a fake thing, but apparently it wasn't. I thought so too. My uh, aunt was telling me about it. She was like, "Yeah, they got these phones." I'm like, 
What are you talking about? <laughs> she showed it to me. <laughs> oh, that's really I mean, funny. It was like one of those Nokia phones. Remember the phones that we got from Movistar when we first got to Ecuador? Or maybe mm, I just got the phone. Yeah, I, think, but yeah, you, I don't that, think I did. Yeah, you wouldn't have had that. <laughs> <laughs> so you mean the government-issued phone wasn't that good? Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> That old Nokia phone that like they came out with in '98. Yeah, like, like the one my dad still has. Like, right? No, that's I, the I, one that's I'm joking, like, but yeah. That's the one that I bought here in Ecuador for sixty dollars in 2013. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> and um, those the ones that they were giving away for for the Obama phone. Yeah. So um, I think that covers most of that. Let's jump in for a second, um, and maybe we've done this before. We'll keep it very brief. We'll wrap up here in a few minutes, but. Um, Let's jump in and just really quick from my perspective and Darnell, you know, jump in at any time. Um, I know I know we share, you know, very similar views on this. But um, from my perspective, you know, let's just talk for a second about what's at stake here in the election. Sure. And, um, you know, I want to like I want to I want to I want to preface this with a caveat. You know, I'm a I'm a pro freedom person on all fronts at all times. I'm very you know, I believe in in the market and and no liberals out there. I don't think that we had capitalism under George Bush. <laughs> um, you know, I, I believe in I believe, I'm a voluntarist. You know, I'm an anarchist. I don't believe in control of any kind. Um, I believe in in uh, in in voluntary exchange. You know, so I don't I don't. Not only do I you know believe in the market, but I I believe in that f- across all fronts. So I don't believe in borders. You know, I don't believe in in uh, in in any of it. So. Um, that's my perspective, and for a lot of people, that's very extreme, and that's fine. Um, but um, so when I look at when I look at these two candidates on issues that on a lot of issues that are important to me on a personal level, for example, you know, police policing, um, the the whole idea behind having to get permissions and licenses for everything, uh, you know, China sort of um, mining all over and being very indebted to China. A lot of these sorts of things, they're exactly the same one. So I'm not, um, I'm not in favor of Lasso because he's going to create some voluntarist uh, paradise, which you know. Um, so, so I just want to caveat. I just want to preface what I'm going to say with that. That you know, I think both will be the same on those sorts of issues, which are are things that are very important to me. Where I think, um, where I think the difference is, is. If Lasso is elected, and and no, this won't last because we still have a debt-based monetary system, and ultimately, you know, we all know how that goes. Anyone who who's familiar with that, um, if Lasso gets elected, Ecuador is going to have a boom for a number of years, and it's going to start with perception. Uh, Lasso gets elected, you're going to have articles in the Wall Street Journal. You're going to have articles all over saying, you know, Ecuador is open for business because right now it isn't. So. Um, you and then and then wealthy Ecuadorians who who are have their money parked overseas are going to come back. Investors are going to come in. Private investors, you know, the small guys as well. Um, and there's going to be a lot of capital in Ecuador. Um, and and light, you know, things are going to be really good for a period of time. Um, if Moreno gets elected, um, I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I know certainly what I just said will not happen. That's clear. Um, perhaps it's status quo which is not the end of the world, but not great either. Perhaps it's status quo, but the risk if Moreno gets elected is ultimately Venezuela. And, 
you know, there's a couple of things stopping that, namely that Ecuador doesn't have its own currency, so can't just print into oblivion like Venezuela has done. And secondarily, the, the brand of socialism here is a lot softer than the brand of socialism in, in, in Venezuela. You know, Chavez in his heyday was taking over, was making private companies public day by day and announcing them in front of 100,000 people crowds, you know, with his military hat on. We don't have that here. Um, I think it's no. called the beret. <laughs> yes, the beret. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, we don't have that here, so maybe we're okay for a period of time under Moreno. Um, but also don't the socialist sneaker yet. Not yet. No, although we have the minister, we have the ministerio de like felicidad or something. That we have the we have the minister of happiness here. <laughs> Which I mean, the, we have the minister, we have the ministerio del de del, del control del poder del mercado, like something like that. We have we have the minister of of controlling the power of the market, and then we have ministerio de felicidad or something like that. The minister of happiness. I mean, if we that's have not the ministry of of economic and social inclusion. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, if this isn't George Orwell, you know, I don't know what is. But anyway, so that's my take, Darnell. Throw your uh, two cents in, and and we'll get out of here. Yeah. One one more thing about the the office of uh, of economic and social inclusion. So <laughs> when they're not open, does that mean that there's no economic and social inclusion going on? Rowan's was a friend, a guy that works with us was joking like you know the Ministerio de Felicidad or whatever it is. They're like you know they like do yoga, eat bananas, like you know like they like, they're like you know they're very happy. They, <laughs> they yeah. Well, I mean, I would be happy too if I got it. To do all those things and somebody else had to pay for it yeah right okay. well and that's the point i mean that's the problem in ecuador right now is that everything is public sector everything and that ultimately leads to collapse it's not you know i think a lot of liberals have this like sort of false idea that people who don't believe in huge gigantic mammoth government want inequality and want you know don't like poor people and and are racist and you know, all, all the other kind of stuff and you know, it's just number one. It's just false. It's just not true. But the 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 thing is, how do we get there? There's nobody really. I mean, yeah, there's a few racists here and there, and there's a few people who are just jerks here and there and whatnot. But in general, everybody wants equality. Everybody wants you know justice. Everybody wants um, you know everybody to have opportunity, etc. The the question is, how do we get there? And right now in Ecuador, you know, right now in Ecuador. Um, you could have – if you're working for the government in one of – you know, you have four other guys doing your same job and none of you are actually doing anything. You, you People just sit around. They sign papers. They harass people. You know, you've got – you know, you want to do some simple thing. You go in. You Well, you need this paper. You need that paper. Go over here. Go over there. Go over there. Go over there. Go this. Do that. And then, you know, they just pay. They just push paper around and make lots of money. And so it drains the economy for people who are producing nothing. And and ultimately, people are hurting the economy because their only job is to drain the economy through time and money um, dealing with them. So, um, you know, that's the problem we have. And so if, if Moreno gets elected, you know, we're going to definitely have more of the same that way. If Lasso gets elected, you know, maybe we have less. Um, he certainly says so. He's got 14 taxes he wants to cut, um, etc. But Yeah, in terms of what's at stake, Jesse, I mean, I think you, you – um you know, you hit the point on the head uh, or hit the nail on the head. I would say about um, really with Venezuela, I think one thing that's that's helping is that people, you know, it's a very strong example. It's a, it's a, and it's close by. Um, and 
lots of Venezuelans are coming to Ecuador. Um, and, and so, you know, talking about their experiences. And so this is something, it's an example that's very close to home. And I think lots of people are looking at Venezuela and thinking, you know, you know, Correa was very much aligned with uh, the Venezuelan government throughout his tenure as president in Ecuador. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people, that's very clear to people, both supporters and detractors. And so I think that that example is very strong for people. Um, so, you know, we'll see how how that impacts people when they get to the polls, because ultimately that's the only thing that matters. Yeah. Um, in terms of, in terms of um, you know, my perspective on Lasso, obviously I support him. We've talked about that at length. Um, but yeah, there's a lots of things that, and you touched on essentially all of them, um, that he's not going to change. And that's just a function of government in general, in my opinion. Right. So I'm not thinking that, you know, I wouldn't, I'm not going to vote for him because I think he's going to change the world. I think that I'm voting for him because I think that in the, in the, uh, in the short, to, short to intermediate term that uh, it's going to be, he's going to create a much more healthy environment for business. And um, that's one of the main things that we're doing here. And that's one of the main things that we're uh, helping our clients do here. So I think that, you know, repealing those 14 taxes that he's talking about, including the 75% capital gains tax uh, in the capital flight tax will be will be real boons to the economy and to investing, investing and, you know, creating um, lots of industry and production in Ecuador which I think uh, Ecuador, just where it's located, um, the fact that we're on the equator, that you have a very long growing season for lots of different things and with the kinds of infrastructure that's been developed over the last 10 years, it just has all the prerequisites in place to really be one of Latin America's hottest uh, investment destinations. So that's, that's why I'm for it. It's yeah. really just that simple. Yeah, I mean, agreed. And I mean, I, and people say like, well, he's going to rob the country. I'm sure he is. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, I mean, that's I mean, what, what people don't understand, regardless of what side of the aisle they are on, that that's a function of government. Right. Exactly. Whatever, you're not going to find the government that doesn't rob. That's what governments do. They take what they don't produce. A government doesn't produce anything. So... Even the best government is going to be, it's, a, it's an expense to the people at the end of the day. Yep. Now, whether that expense is worth it or not is another conversation, but it's ultimately an expense. A government is not going to do something, anything that it takes in, it has to take from others. Yep. So um, just by definition, it's that way. So, you know, the, the, the things about the corruption and all this other stuff, to me, that's just par for the course. I don't, that's not something that I'm particularly focused on. Not to mention, that's not something that I can control and or monitor. I mean, where do we find out about corruption, quote unquote, on the news? Right. right. I, don't have a, I don't have a mechanism, nor does anybody else who's outside of the government have a mechanism for monitoring or understanding corruption other than the ones that are given to us. Right. Um, and that's by design. Yeah. And as you said, it's just par for the course. If you have... You have an entity that has guys with guns, you know, you know the legal legal backing to um, do whatever they do, and they don't have any profit motive. You're going to end up in a situation 100% of the time where you know they're abusing their authority. Period. End of story. So you know the idea that 
hundreds of billions of dollars, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars are going to get funneled through an entity that has the power of the sword, you know, has the has the power, has violence at, at their disposal, legal violence. Um, and, uh, you know, has no profit motive. <laughs> they, they can do whatever they want with that money. Whatever the results are doesn't change anything for them. And if they need money, they just... Take they more just of it. Uh, yeah. take more of it. Right. They they go and borrow it from the you know they go into the bond market they borrow it and uh, they stick you with the bill. Right. So the idea that those people would that people would be so moral you know so moral that they wouldn't you know they wouldn't do anything anything fraudulent or anything corrupt is laugh is no, laughable. I mean it's laughable. Not especially when there's no recourse. Exactly. Who is gonna okay? I take this money. Who's gonna even know about it? Right. Nobody. Right, and I mean that doesn't even mention the fact like I'm sorry, guys, but politics doesn't doesn't attract virtuous people very often, and that's because it's power. You know, if you're if you're after power, politics is a great you know it's a great avenue for you. And most people who are lusting for power are not super virtuous. <laughs> so, so you know, I mean, the head of the oil ministry in Ecuador, like, what's the chances of that guy being a virtuous human being? <laughs> like, you know, like, and, and, like, and let's just say for the sake of argument that he is or was mm -hmm. um, over time being able to do what you want without any recourse right. uh, without any feedback that really matters right. um, I don't know I think that that's a that's an influence that would um, you know that would be that would corrupt somebody to some to a to a certain extent um, and to the extent that you know they're being corrupted you know you're losing money because they're just taking you know they're stealing your labor Simple as that. Last thing I'll leave you with, and we got to get out of here, is um, it's so interesting to me how good they are here at class warfare. Um, oh, they're very so good. Between the, well, they're very good everywhere at that. But yes, that's here true. They're, here they're pretty good it's, as well. It's a unique, though. It's different here. Um, I, yeah, you're right. They are good at that everywhere. Here, here though, it just it's, it comes in a different form like everything. So it's like um, – They've got everybody, so so they've got the free, you know, the the, the Moreno houses. <laughs> um, they've promised poor people that they're going to raise welfare from fifty dollars to one hundred and fifty dollars a month, which wow, um, <laughs> that's a yeah. So and then of course Lasso makes the point that you know any thinking person would make that would said you know guys they've had ten years to give you a free house and raise the. <laughs> <laughs> raise the raise the uh, raise welfare from fifty to one hundred and fifty dollars a month. Why are they announcing it now? <laughs> um, but you know they're really good at that class warfare. They're really good at convincing people. You know this guy who's going to give you all this free stuff has your interests in mind, and this guy, other guy who wants to sort of leave you alone and let you live your life and and work, you know, doesn't and. I just think that's really, you know, uh, it's interesting and it's unfortunate and um, and it's just very on display. Um, you just have a lot of folks, I really believe truly, you know, just voting against their own interests. I mean, raising welfare is not, if you're on welfare and they're now giving you more money, it's not going to help you in your life. Yeah, you might, you know, get a little more food and, you know, might have some more things. You can buy more things, but you're you're ultimately dependent on government then for the rest of your life. And if you go get a job, they take your welfare away. So, you know, the idea that, you know, you okay, you can live on $150 is nothing, obviously, um, you know, a month from the government for the rest of your life. Is that help, you know, your journey as a human being? 
Um, you know, I would obviously argue definitely not. So, and, and no one's getting any free houses or anything like that. So it's just a sham. It's just a charade. But it's it's very it's very interesting to watch it play out. Absolutely. Anything else? No, I'm good, man. It was a long show. Let's get let's get out of here. I got a lot of work to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same same here. Actually, <laughs> uh, an appointment that I you know I we were starting at ten. I told the person I'll be there at eleven thirty because I thought we'd wrap up in an hour, but. Now I'm already running late, so good. Well, thanks again for joining us for uh, the Ecuador Insider Podcast. Uh, again, we're a Button and Living Ecuador, a real estate and relocation services firm based in Loja, Ecuador. You can reach us from Canada toll-free at 1-888-999-0948. Uh, you can reach us via email at info at abequador.com. That's A as in apple, B as in boy, ecuador.com. Also, make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms, particularly YouTube. A lot of great videos coming out to inform you about um, all things Ecuador. So thanks again for joining us and uh, uh, tune in again next week.